This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Amsterdam, presented by the Worldwide Tourism Federation. Have you already booked your trip to Holland? Well, if so, be sure to download Amsterdam, the hot new globetrotting companion app that's got everybody buzzing. Whether you're planning on getting cross-eyed in Kulemborg or wrecked in Utrecht, with Amsterdam, you can plan and track an entire slate of activities for those Rotterdam days and Harlem nights. Because your trip to the Netherlands should be impossible to forget. And even harder to remember. Don't let your memories go up in smoke. Download Amsterdam today. Presented in conjunction with Dank of America and the Contravan, delivering chronic debauchery since 2001. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the round. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Brave has given you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, the All Star Week episode. Where we've got a lot of stuff to cover, but before we get to that, you know, we got to introduce our sponsors, helping and being with us from pretty much what would you say? Pretty much day one, or maybe about week four or five. MyBookie.ag has stuck with us through thick and thin. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for all online gambling. Whether you like to place money on baseball games, if you wanted to put money on the All-Star or on the uh, Home Run Derby, MyBookie.ag had the best lines for that as well. Now, I don't think you would have won much since I think uh, Vlad Jr. and Pete Alonso were both pretty highly ranked up there. But whatever it is, whatever else it is that you like to do, if you want to get on NBA Summer League games, MyBookie.ag has you covered. Boxing matches, UFC fights, whatever it is, MyBookie.ag. And if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they're going to give you a 50% deposit match just for using our promo code. Remember, BRAVES25, MyBookie.ag. Play, win, and have a great time. All right, Doc. It's All-Star Week, and before we get too into this, I want to say for any of those of you that listen to uh, my Locked on Brave show, if you're wondering why I haven't done anything this week, it's because the All-Star the All Star break, I took a break as well. Uh, it does get a little tiring doing them every single day, so I did take a break there. But I just couldn't take a break from you. <laughs> no, same, same. You know, it's... Uh... 
we spend so much time talking about baseball, like, all the time, and God knows I just, I love it so much, and obsessing over all the tiny little details is just, it's so much fun, and it brings me a lot of joy, <clears throat> but because of that, like, I, I don't like to, to really half-ass anything, I like to go full bore on everything that I do, so the fact that there haven't been any games, and even, you know, even AAA has taken taken the week off, because they had, they had their All-Star game too, there hasn't been a lot of stuff going on in the minors, it has been really, really nice to just kind of step back a little bit and, you know, I've been reading a little bit <laughs> instead of just, you know, obsessively digging through stats, trying to find patterns and, and, and trying to find meaning in, in meaningless things. So, uh, but that being said, I think this is, uh, this is day number four without a game. So I'm starting to get a little itchy. You know what I mean? I'm, I will be glad to see it come back uh, tomorrow night. Oh, I, I can't wait. I'm going to be watching Houston and Texas tonight just because I'm ready for a game. Um, the, the break thing is good in part. If people could just not freak out when there's a game, whenever there's no game, whenever there's an off day, that's when you get the worst of Braves Twitter. Uh, and that was certainly the case yesterday. Uh, if you avoided it, good for you. Um, I think everybody's ready for baseball to come back, particularly off of that home run derby, which I thought was better than the All-Star game. I'm not... I'm not usually one to talk about all-star games very much. You might have saw the tweet I put up. Basically, if you get pissed off about anything about an all-star game, you need to reevaluate your life. The games don't matter. It's just for fun. The players go out and have a good time, so stop getting upset about it. Um, But before we dig into that all-star game, not that there was a ton to dig into, but we do got to talk about some Braves, I want to talk about that home run derby and what you thought of it. Because for me, I have watched every home run derby since probably about 1997 when I was six watched every home run derby since then I think last night's was or, or two was it Monday nights was was my favorite home run derby I've ever seen hands down the the format what they did what they do with the timer it just makes it so very interesting and I had talked last week about how last year Valerie just she's she doesn't really she cares about baseball so much because I care about baseball so much, but she got completely sucked in to the home run derby. And and the same thing happened this year. Like she had uh she had come downstairs to watch Acuna and she stayed down there for a little bit and she got completely enthralled in the Vlad Guerrero Jr. versus Jock Peterson round. I mean that was that alone was was just unbelievable to see. It was just going head to head, both of them had that that look like they were just out there to have fun. And seeing Vlad Jr. come up, and you know, so many people got mad because he only had eight home runs coming into it, and they say he didn't belong. And a lot of those people wound up discovering who Vlad Jr. was uh, during during that home run derby. That was just a massive display of power. I think I saw that he hit seven and a half miles worth of home runs, or something like that. So. Uh, it was great to watch. I watched it till the very end, and I will say, not only was my bracket nearly perfect, but uh, I did get Pete Alonzo correct, and I also nailed the exact distance of the longest home run, which was 488 feet, which is just dumb. That is that is a moonshot. Yeah, that was... I, I would have been perfect had Jock Peterson beat... Uh, if they had counted that one Jock Peterson homer against Vlad Jr., I would have won because I do think that Jock would have beaten Pete Alonso in that final round. Um, but outside of that, like you, I actually had the total number of home runs right. Uh, I ha- I thought they'd be a little bit more spaced out. Um, well, I take that back. 
I have to recheck it, but uh, was it 84 home runs by Vlad Jr. overall? Was just absolutely insane. Jock Peterson hitting tanks as well. Was it 29 the first time they went through? That was that was the most glorious round ever. Um, Acuna did a great job as well, and Acuna's was just as impressive for different reasons. Everybody's trying to pull in home run derbies. That's kind of the name of the game. You don't have to hit it as far if you if you pull the ball. Acuna's hitting tanks dead center and opposite field. You got Alonzo, who I thought Alonzo was going to have to get a lot more in the first round, um, but overall. It was amazing, and it was great that the three rookies, if you'd still consider Acuna a rookie, but the three guys under 25 all made it to the semifinal round. And I, I think for baseball, it was kind of exactly what you wanted to see. For anybody that ever questioned about Vlad Jr., the violence with which he swings is absolutely incredible. It's jarring a little bit. I mean, because he, and I think that he knew that he was going to have to wind up going all out. They, they made such a, a big deal during the broadcast about about that huge wall. And and no doubt about it, that that's a, a giant wall. But I think that Vlad knew that, that his strength was not going to be doing what Acuna did, which is just spraying him all over the field. His his spray chart was just lovely. But uh, and, and you saw it with Alex Bregman, where he just kept hitting him like 16, 17 feet up that wall and didn't have enough to, to get him quite out, out of there. So the Acuna round, I mean, even, even seeing... Guerrero and and Peterson going head to head. The Acuna round was was clearly my favorite, just because it looked like he he took a second to get going, and then he hit two to straightaway center that basically looked like they landed on the freeway running behind the stadium. Okay, so I do need to be uh, I do need to be honest real quick. Uh, I said I said two hundred and eighty four home runs would be hit. That was my number. They actually beat it. They hit three hundred and twelve because Vlad hit uh, hit uh, ninety one homers by himself, which is just incredible. My God, uh, it's just incredible to, to watch that happen. Uh, I don't know how I feel about counting home runs from like the tiebreakers and stuff like that. I kind of don't feel like they should be counted in the overall total. And I'm not. I might just be saying that because I think I would have hit the nail on the head if if they uh, if they didn't count those. Um, but 29 home runs from him and Jock was absolutely beastly. It's a ton of fun. You see how excited everybody is when they're watching it happen. And when you saw Alonzo get so pumped up about it, and and this was the first time there was actual incentive to win. There was a million dollars on the line. So for these young kids, like that's real money. That's more than they're making this year. Pete Alonzo is such a likable guy, and that and that's such a hard thing to say. I mean, my my thoughts on the New York Mets are very well chronicled. I have nothing bad to say about him at all. He just seems like such a nice, genuine guy. And and anybody who won that with the amount of work that they put in would have deserved it. But it it was really awesome to see how hyped he got and how happy because Vlad seemed very not indifferent, but he just oh, I'm going to show up and I'm going to hit 90 home runs real quick and it's no big deal. And Alonzo like he wanted it. He was really hungry, you know. And I'm I'm glad I'm glad that he took it home and not not just because I chose him in my bracket. I just really enjoyed it. I just thought it was a ton of fun. I can't wait to watch this continuing next year. This is just. Purely imagining, I'm hoping to see uh, Acuna go back. I'm hoping to see Vladdy uh, again. I'm sure he'll be there again. Uh, Alonzo, you could get Aloy Jimenez, Jordan Alvarez. Next year's could be even better than this year's. 
I think Austin Riley, I, I, I hope that Riley holds out until 2021 and does it at SunTrust. Because I, I think that... I think that every year, they mentioned this on the broadcast, I think that every year they, they have to have somebody who's like a hometown guy. And I think Riley would be the best one to do that. Or even somebody like Ozzy, you know? I know that, that he's, he's tiny, he doesn't fit the mold of all of the, all of the guys that are going to be in there. But just to see him hitting tanks out, I mean, we, we know he can do it, but a lot of people would just scoff at it like, who is this guy? He's like 5'8". What's he going to do? And he's got pretty serious power, so I don't know. Then again, out of everybody who's on the Braves and the everybody gets worried about, oh, it's going to ruin his swing for the second half, more so than anybody, I would be worried about Ozzy going in. Yeah, and totally, that's a fair point. Yeah, totally ruining his swing for the second half. If he, if he also uses such a heavy bat, I don't know how long he'd be able to go. Austin Riley is a big old strong, country strong boy. I think he'd be able to, to put a serious dent in some numbers. So I agree. I'd like to see Austin Riley in 2021. Uh, but the All-Star game itself w- was interesting, and... I'm usually not huge on the All-Star game itself. Um, as weird as it sounds, I love the Home Run Derby. I'm pretty indifferent to the All-Star game, but I did actually watch it this year. And first things first, the players being mic'd as they're like the whole, going up to the plate, the Freddie Freeman mic'd at the plate was the greatest thing ever. I thought... Hearing Freddie going back and forth with Smoltzy, uh, okay, you got to let me know if it's fastball here, uh, and, and the back and forth with him, and uh, I believe it was Verlander on the mound, that was that was the best thing ever. I really do hope, and MLB's talking about doing that for the rest of the season, I really hope they do, because that is a ton of fun. It's a great look. Uh, when Pete Alonso's on, mic'd up at first base, and he makes that great stretch on that play, <laughs> you hear him go off on live TV. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Even if Joe Buck is the absolute worst at interview questions ever, I love having the players mic'd up that way. No, me too. It was so funny when uh, when Alonzo was like, yeah, I don't even know if my foot was on the bag for that one. <laughs> so, but oh, yeah, it's and, on. I got it. And yeah, and Freddie asking, like, guys, seriously, was that a strike? You know, it just, we know, we know what a lovable guy he is and, and how uh, magnetic of a personality he can be, so... It was it was really cool to see that. I didn't get to see it see it live because I wound up having to to work a little later that night. But uh, but I mean that that clip got retweeted a thousand times, so I got the chance to watch it. And he just he's so jovial, you know, that big old goofy smile. So that's that's our dude. That's the face of our franchise. And it's just it's it's a ton of fun. I do need to say though that Joe Buck. Somebody needs to write him interview questions because he is just atrocious. He literally asked, "Would you? why would you ask a player when he asked Charlie Blackman, so do you guys think you can be good the rest of the year? Like, Why would you, <laughs> why would you ask that? Nah, I think we're just going to punt. We gave it a good run for a little while, but, but nah, I, th- I think we're going to mail it in for the second half, Joe. What do you think, dude? Yes, of course. He asked him in the middle of that inning, so how many years do you have left? <laughs> and then he homered immediately after that. This was, af- this was after the homer because that's how we started it off. Oh, so you finally it? got your first All Star game hit, and it's a homer. You know, like Charlie Blackman sounded like he had no interest in talking to Joe Buck. And I don't usually like to hate on the announcers, um, at least on the podcast. I try to be a little bit more professional, uh, but I cannot stand Joe Buck. 
you seen that old clip uh, from, I, I mean, this must have been 15, 20 years ago, when he, he just barged into the locker room and was walking around doing a pregame thing, and he walked up to Jeter, and Jeter was just like, N- what are you doing? And Buck was just like, okay, well, we're going to go to commercial. <laughs> I, I don't think you're the only one who, who thinks he's absolutely the worst. He makes, it, it, it's, it's actually pretty atrocious the way he does them. I, I don't know what the deal is, but whatever the case may be, it was a fun all-star game. Um, getting Now Acuna, I believe Acuna went hitless, Freddie went hitless, but Soroka was outstanding in his inning of work. It was vintage. He he threw 10, 11 pitches, which is good. I, I'm really glad that he didn't go out there and wind up pitching for, I mean, we, I think that we knew that he was just going to wind up doing one inning, but he didn't labor at all. He didn't, you know, he wasn't working around base runners or anything like that. So young guy, not necessarily an innings limit, but mm, something kind of resembling that. It was, it was good to see him get out there, look good doing it, and then get off the mound as soon as he could. But yeah, he looked good. Put the league on it, notice. It was a fun. Uh, it, it was it was a cool All Star game for another reason. There were so many first year players at the All Star game. Was I think it was I think it was over twenty that were making their All Star game debuts. I don't I don't know what the full number was, but it was a ton of people who had never been in an All Star game before, and it was, and and it's not like they just got in. Bieber was the best player in the All Star game, and Shane Bieber has been a revelation this year. But to have Shane Bieber and Soroka and Acuna and Alonzo and everybody out there and all these young guys just go out there and take it and, and, and play that way, it's a lot of fun. And it lets you know baseball's in a great place going forward. I was just going to say the same thing. We, we talk a lot about how, how good of a place the game is right now, how many amazing young stars there are. And and this just this is a great statement on that. I mean, the guys that you mentioned and even, even seeing guys that, like Alonzo and Guerrero the night before – who had who showed out during during the home run derby? I think that when if you're a young kid and you're looking at these guys and say, "Man, these guys really aren't that much older than me," you know, it it helps to identify a little bit more as opposed to somebody like we'll just use Kershaw, who's you know it seems like a dinosaur compared to every everybody anymore. He's still younger than I am, so. Uh, but yeah, this this game is in such a wonderful place right now. There's so many people that want to go out and say, "What's wrong with baseball?" Nothing's wrong with baseball. Stop trying to fix it. I mean, do do more of what we're doing now, as far as like the young the young guys and the talent. And you can tell that they're they're trying to promote it a little more. I just think that it's going to be a, an uphill battle for that. But you have to take the steps that you can take. And having having guys like. Bieber and and Vlad Jr. and Alonzo that are coming up and showing out and, and putting their stamp on the game. It's great. It's really great to see. And for the Braves, uh, the, the couple of their all-star guys, they get a two-day break now uh, before the season starts back up, and they go into the second half. And looking at the first half, we're going to talk about that in just a second. I do want to throw something else out there. I'm assuming that you saw the new rule that's going to be in place uh, in the Atlantic League, maybe, uh, in, in some of the lower minors. Regarding the the base runners, what is it? I know that they they just released the new set of rules that they can do. A player can steal first on any pass ball by the catcher at any point in the count. What? What? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the oldest adages in in baseball. Like you can't steal first. So, so I guess for somebody like a Billy Hamilton type, then. Maybe you really can steal first anymore. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, I 
I'm not trying to go full Jeff Simpson here, but and and I know that they're doing these in in leagues where, you know, these are independent leagues. It's not like they're implementing this in in AAA or something. And even even last year when they implemented the runner on second rule, you and I both. This was one of the first episodes we ever did. When we, I think when we both went on record as saying this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and nobody's really complained a whole lot about it since then. But that one seems a little. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're going to reward somebody for for nothing. I don't, I don't know. I hate that rule, and it's not just me being old. I just don't like that rule. I think it's a stupid rule. Uh, hopefully, that's one of those that doesn't move on. But in other news, did you see that yesterday? There was the first game using robotic umpires. I did, and was it, was there any? Anything that was particularly out of the ordinary? Any uh, manager robot ump kerfuffles? Anything like that? I think there was one controversial thing, but it wasn't to do with the strike zone. I'm not 100% sure on what it was. Uh, but for the most part, all the balls and strikes got called correctly. So um, I go back and forth on how I feel about robotic umpires. The human element, when you're looking at umps or, or referees in any other sport, that, that's something that, that keeps the game kind of pure. But when you, when you also look at guys like C.B. Buckner, Angel Hernandez, Joe West, in a lot of cases, it's like you got to... The, the human element starts to take over a little a little too much, and it starts to, to impact the game in ways that it shouldn't. I feel like there's, it's going to be a long road before they're able to perfect it, and it will never be perfect. But the thing about robot umpires that really quote-unquote bothers me is how hard is it going to be for somebody to hack into the robot ump and just kind of modify or tweak the strike zone or whatever. I'm in IT security, so my first thing is, how are they going to lock this down? How are they going to make this secure to where the, the Red Sox aren't just completely manipulating the robot ump versus the Astros? Or something like that. And, you know, that would be a sight to see. Because how do, how do you argue that? Like, how do you how do you prove that I, I don't know my first thought on it is going to be you're going to obliterate the pitchers how many pitchers make a living with the with that strike call six inches off the plate i mean pitchers are going to have to come over the plate a whole lot more i do think it's going to be a real detriment to the pitchers and i i think there should be a happier medium i'm really like i i want to see balls and strikes called correctly part of me does but another part of me knows that Pitchers have to be able – the pitchers kind of need to be a step ahead of the hitters at least a little bit in order for the games to to kind of be a little bit better because the pitchers always at a bit of a disadvantage. I mean, especially with the way hitters are, are, are hitting now, if you start having it where they have to come over the heart of the plate all the time, you're going to start having even more ridiculous numbers than we're seeing now. I'm just I – I think there should be a happier medium where if you just held umpires accountable, I don't think there would be any need for it. Yeah, that's that's true. There, there's not really a whole lot of repercussions from from being a bad umpire. We just, just listed off a couple that if you know the umpire's name, it's it's probably not a good thing. You know, umpires should by and large be somewhat invisible back back behind the plate. So most of the advancements in not advancements, most of the changes that wind up getting made in baseball, whether it's the DH or lowering the mound or Robot umps, and so now that the pitchers that that have spent their entire careers living off the corners, you know, most of these changes are are benefiting the hitters. So I I just wonder when there's going to be something that that is really going to help the really going to help the pitchers out. I I don't know, but like you mentioned Joe West earlier, and like with Joe West, Joe West is actually a really good balls and strikes umpire. 
He's just a total tool. Yeah, he's a dick. So like C.B. Buckner, Joe West, Angel Hernandez, these are guys that if you could hold them accountable, I don't think we'd have this conversation. I don't, I, I don't know where I stand on it. Quite honestly, I think I'd prefer to see human umpires stay in there. I just want umpires to be held accountable. Uh, but I don't want to talk too long about the umpires. We can, we can do that on a different show. Um, let's recap the first half for this Braves team. Uh, I don't think you or I are shocked that the Braves are in first place. I think... If you were to ask me if I'm shocked by anything, it's how well the Braves have performed with inconsistent pitching. Yeah, it's it really speaks to to the offense and how dynamic it's been. I mean, we all we all point to Acuna moving back to leadoff and the day that Riley came up. I mean, those those came within a week of each other, and since then the team has been. 36 and 17, I think, uh, since since Acuna went back to, to leadoff. So, I mean, it, we're not dealing with a small sample size anymore. That's like a third of a season. Over, over the course of an entire season, that's a 109-win team. And that's, strangely enough, in that same span, the Dodgers have actually been playing better than the Braves have, which is <laughs> which is kind of unbelievable. But, but yeah, I mean, if you, you get really good good, consistent pitching. I mean, because without Fulton and Gossman, you know, Soroka has been amazing. Freed has shown really, really good stuff. Julio had his run where he, that eight stretch run where, excuse me, eight start stretch where he was just unbelievable. And he's, he's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. And, and Keuchel has been, has been really solid in, in his four starts since he's come up. So I, I think that they're, they're starting to figure that out a little bit, but but yeah, the, I think that they're kind of banking on unless they wind up making making a move at the deadline, which which we're gonna gonna probably get to get to here in just a second. I think that they're just banking on the fact that the offense can just bludgeon the other pitchers into submission and you know win games eight to seven instead of winning them three to two. And it helps that the rest of the NL East has been really bad. Although the Nationals are picking it up, they may have dug themselves into too big of a hole to get out of. But the the Braves' offense is really the story of this season because I think you and I both had high hopes for the offense coming into it. I think we both knew that Ozzy would be better than he was in the second half last year. Um, the Dansby turnaround is, is totally crazy when you see that he's on pace for 30 homers and 100 ribbies. Uh, that's not something that any of us, particularly me, would have would have predicted. Um, but it's, it's really been everywhere. And you could talk about Tyler Flowers has been junk offensively, but Brian McCann has been awesome offensively, which is something that you and I were not expecting either. There hasn't been a hole in this lineup, particularly once Austin Riley got called up. This Braves team's been able to score, seems like, five, six runs every single game. Yeah, it's the like you said about the Dansby turnaround. I mean, I, I was bullish on him taking a, another step, but I I did not see this coming at all. I I, I was expecting Ozzy to to be a lot more like 2017 Ozzy. He's actually been somewhere in between 2017 Ozzy and first half of 2018 Ozzy, which has been great. Acuna's doing Acuna things. Donaldson, ever since Musgrove threw at him, that's when he. That's when he's turned it on. I think that that right there has been the biggest thing for me because I mean they they went twenty and eight in June and even the the first week like because they they lost that series to the Pirates uh, they they uh, dropped two out of three up there and then when the Pirates came here there there had almost been like this weird air around Donaldson up until that point where it was like it's almost like he didn't fit. A little bit, or it was like he was struggling to find exactly what his place was. And then, as soon as 
the benches cleared that everybody just kind of had this thing of like, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to throw at our boy here. Wait, is he our boy now? Yeah, I guess he is. And so now everybody's welcoming him with open arms. So the next thing you know, he's, he's hit 10 home runs in the last month. So I think that was, that was a, a huge, huge thing right there. Love what we've seen out of McCann. And Flowers was actually pretty decent for the first month out of the season. But, yeah, he, he, has, not, he has not been great. So, can't really overstate what, what McCann has done. And even, even the bench guys. I mean, Camargo has, has struggled. I think that he's really, really not been happy with his new role. But you look at what Matt Joyce has done. And Charlie Culberson has still done exactly what he was doing last year, which is, which is pretty unbelievable, really. It's, uh, I just there's there's so much fun to watch, and and you can never, in in previous years, and part of part of it was just because the the team, kind of, sucked for for lack of a better word, 15, 16, 17. Those were really rough years to watch, and so I was I was watching a lot of minor league games, in, in those years, waiting on. Ozzie and Acuna and Riley and everybody to to get here and do what they're doing now and and anymore like I just I don't have nearly as much interest in doing that now because that wave has shown up here and this team is just it's must see TV anybody is a threat to go deep at any time even even Flowers really even though to to use uh, your term he has been playing like junk for the last two months so it's uh it's wonderful and at this point the the Dodgers are like the class of the National League, right? But the difference between the Dodgers and the Braves is the distance between the Braves and everybody else. Like the the Cubs and the Brewers and and the Nationals too, like they're all just barely treading water above 500 and the the Braves are like right at 600, you know. They're this is a scary team. This is a scary scary team. If the playoffs started tomorrow, we would face the Cubs and I I like my chances in that series. I do too. The Braves do a good job against the Cubs because the Cubs don't have good starting pitching. And the Dodgers, unfortunately, that's the team that you're trying to, to chase. Uh, and for all the steps the Braves took this year, you just mentioned the Dodgers have kind of taken equal steps, which is kind of annoying. Um, but that's why I think that this trade deadline is going to be very, very important for the Braves. And I don't think you're going to see them tackle any position players Maybe they they look towards right field, but I don't think they're going to want to pay that price on Nick Castellanos. Uh, I think you're looking at, surprisingly enough, I think they're more worried about the starting pitching than the bullpen. Since about May 22nd, the bullpen has been one of the best in all of baseball, surprisingly enough. Now, whether that can continue or not, I don't know. Uh, But for now, they got to feel pretty good about it. I I think it's starting pitching that's really the biggest worry for this team, especially when you consider that even with Marcakis, I think if he would get more breaks then I don't think that it would be as big a deal because I think Nick coming off of a day off has been really good this year uh I I I don't think that there's a lot of holes in this team I don't think there's a lot of things that they're really going to target and I don't think they really need to the Braves are in a good position where they if they could add a a a real top of the rotation guy another verified huge starter obviously it would be great for their chances against LA but they're not at this place where they need to overpay prospect capital to bring in one pitcher. And if it's a guy that's not certifiable ace or a, a certified one guy away from the World Series type of, of trade, 
then the Braves don't need to to trade anybody in the top three or four of the prospect pool. We're recording this on the 11th, so there's going to be a there's 20 days until the trade deadline, and Gossman is doing his he's moving up in in the land of uh, rehab starts. He's starting for Mississippi tonight, and Fulty has been. He was really good in his first uh, AAA start once he got sent down, and he was not quite as good, but he was still serviceable in the uh, in his second start. So there's going to be a couple more turns through the rotation for them to see how dire this actually is, and I don't know if they're going to wind up waiting until the deadline to make a move. I mean, they, they traded for Gossman with like 10 minutes left uh, before the trade deadline last year, and, and I think that you could see them go out and make a move and if they feel like they need to make a bullpen move, then that's when you turn to Fulty or Gossman right there and just say, this is not permanent. We're going to put you in here for now because this is where we feel like you would be best deployed. This is the best way to help the team. So, four starts, we'll say, well, that, uh, that either of them are going to get three, four starts to, to really gauge their effectiveness and see whether or not they need to, to just rely on them or go out and, and get somebody else. But... Yesterday, news kind of trickled out that may or may not be real that the Braves have interest in a certain Canadian right-hander. Dylan, would you like to address those? So, Huddle Sports, which is the same, I guess you can call them a company or a blog, but they're the same guys that broke the Manny Machado to San Diego uh, signing. They broke Antonio Brown to the Oakland Raiders and the NFL, and they've broken a few more things. They, They generally do a really good job. They came out and said that the Braves and the Blue Jays were pretty much agreed on a deal to send Marcus Stroman to the Braves and Ender Enciarte plus some uh, Ender Enciarte and two prospects to the Blue Jays. Uh, if you've noticed, Ender has removed the Braves from all of his social media, uh, and Stroman has done the same with the Blue Jays. So I at first I didn't lend it a lot of credence because it was broken by a or the I it looked like the original kind of rumor was from the fake MLB Bowman account, uh, the fake Mark Bowman on Twitter. Um, but these guys know their stuff. They're not they're not like John Heyman who's kind of just begging for scraps at the Scott Boris table. Like these guys have, have broken real stuff. They've done real things before. Um, as of right now, Stroman is not a brave, but. It looks for sure like he's moving on. It looks for sure like Ender's moving on. And the Blue Jays are one of the few teams that Ender would be a big upgrade for. Um, Stroman just has some things that, just pure pitcher-wise, he would be a big help to this ball club. Uh, He does a lot of things really well. It's very similar to Keuchel, uh, where it's a big ground ball guy. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. He's not going to be a big strikeout guy. uh, But he does a really good job of getting the ball on the ground. And because of that, there are a lot of starts where he can have really low pitch counts and go deep into games. Um, he's had really, really good seasons in the past and some really not good ones, which is what happens when you give up a lot of contact. But there's no doubt that just on field-wise, he'd be a huge bonus for the Braves. The problem is that off-field stuff, man. I know, I know. And and you you hit the, the nail right on the head that he's very similar to Keuchel. He's, uh, he's a lot of ground balls, not huge strikeout, not a lot of walks. And the fact that he pitches to contact, you know, it, it's he's going to go six or seven like every time out. And short of going out and getting a guy like Trevor Bauer, which there's no guarantee the Indians are really going to be selling on him anyway, it's kind of a perfect storm. And the Blue Jays have been running out Teoscar Hernandez 
in in center field. So they do need a center fielder. Braves have a full outfield right now. So you can you can make a, a thousand reasons why why this trade actually makes sense. But the off field stuff with with cropping his dog's ears and everything, like I when we were texting about it yesterday, I had said I just I wish or I think that you might have been the one say I wish that he was just a dick to humans instead of to dogs. And, uh, you know, it's not like we're wading into Michael Vick territory or anything like that, but it's still, it's still kind of one of those, one of those things that you look at it and go, <sighs> personality wise, like he's got that, he's got that mound presence. He's got that swag. He's so fun to watch, but you never know. Like I've, I've never met Marcus Stroman. We don't like hang out or whatever. I don't know a whole lot about the guy. So, but that's, that's one of those things that. It's just it's just kind of hard. So if the Braves wind up going out and getting him, then you know I will still pull for for the outcome of his games. But he's you know he's gonna have to win me over uh, in in that regard. But I don't know. I mean, there's there's four pitchers out there that look like they're gonna wind up, or three main ones that that you know are gonna wind up getting dangled, being Bumgarner, Stroman, and Zach Wheeler. And Bowers kind of on the fringe. Like I was just saying, you know, Cleveland are they in it? Are they not in it? It's hard to tell. So, aside from that, you had kind of talked about John Gray a little bit as somebody who might be an option, but once again, he's he's another one that we don't know if he's even going to be available. We've been really lucky up to this point because who's the biggest prospect the Braves have traded for? Any, I mean, was it Gene Carlos Encarnacion? Yeah, it would be Encarnacion. I guess the highest rated at the time of the trade was Brett Cumberland, I believe. Right, and you know, and Brett's a fine player, and Encarnacion's a fine player, and friend of the program, Bruce Zimmerman. Uh, you know, but we've been really lucky. Like, there hasn't been one of those deals like when the Cubs went and got a roll this Chapman and they traded Glaber Torres. You know, they're, they're, or um, the... Jose Quintana when they traded Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Yeah, like, we've been really lucky because we haven't had to endure that type of heartache. And for the most part, like, a lot of the prospects that that we've had, like, a, the position players in particular, Ozzie Acuna-Riley, and, you know, as of today, Christian Pache is ranked number six in, in Keith Law's uh, best best prospects list. I mean, there's been really lucky there, and and the, some of the prospects that everybody was kind of gambling on as far as the pitchers go, like Soroka and Freed, and, and Tukey has shown out a lot, you know, even though he struggled at times. We've been really lucky, but I do have to wonder if, based on the way this team is playing, if we're not going to have to ready ourselves for you know. I, I think Pache is safe. I think Ian Anderson's safe. But even even Drew Waters, like if they want to make a big splash, like you're not going to get Stroman and Ken Giles. Like if you're trying to uh, supplement the bullpen, you're not going to get both of them without Drew Waters. I don't think. I I would like to think that they're not going to go out of their way to trade him unless they absolutely have to. For me, the tradable prospects start in the the Kyle Wright tier, but even even that, like that's part of that is just me being fully guarded and not wanting to come to terms with the fact that you know maybe Joey Wentz, who has long been one of our favorites, is going to wind up getting traded. Kyle Muller, Tucker Davison, Jaseel De La Cruz, these these guys that you know to people outside of the system, they're like, oh, he's just ranked number nineteen, he's just ranked number twenty one. We're still one of the best farm systems in all of baseball, like. Those guys, they are like top ten in in other in other farm systems. So, whatever happens is gonna sting. Don't believe anybody that thinks that it, uh, Ender Enciarte, Colby Allard, and Travis Demerit is gonna wind up getting you like a frontline pitcher. Like it's gonna hurt. So just 
Yeah. Absolutely. And for those of you that, that buy into any of the, the Braves the the Braves beat reporters, uh, after the Huddle Sports guys broke the Strowman Atlanta thing, they've all been like rapidly trying to throw water on it and say that the Braves have no interest in Strowman. Uh, Paul Crane just tweeted out that it's Wheeler uh, and Bumgarner as the one-two and not Strowman at all, which take Paul Crane with a grain of salt. I don't know if he's ever actually broken anything. Um, DOB saying the same thing. Uh, I believe Bowman might have said something as well, uh, kind of dousing the waters on the uh, the Marcus Stroman talk. Um, Stroman would be different, and you, and you mentioned the crop on the ears. That's the thing, man. Like, I, I can't support you after doing that. Anybody that thinks it's cool to mutilate a dog just because you think it looks cool, like, Sorry, I'm not going to support you. And he hasn't said anything about it. He hasn't come out and even acknowledged that people were like hammering him for it. I don't know, dude. That's just I I still want the Braves to win everything, um, but I'm not going to support a guy that does that and thinks that that's okay because it's absolutely not. Um, but talking about, about some of the other guys available, uh, Wheeler is obviously the guy that I would prefer the most. Um, 29 years old, so he's just kind of just now entering that kind of peak career years for pitchers. And he's a guy whose uh, development kind of got stunted because he got injured a couple times. So we, we saw what he could do last year. And even this year, if you just look at ERA, it's very misleading with Wheeler. The Mets have been a horrendous team, and they've been even more horrendous with Wheeler on the mound. His underlying numbers are probably the best out of any of the pitchers available. Uh, his Sierra, which we'll cover in, in the second half about what Sierra is, um, all of his underlying numbers point to being a really good pitcher and having a ton of horrific luck on a bad defensive team. Wheeler would cost a lot. Even though he's going to be a free agent, um, you're talking about getting the Wilpons, who are notoriously stupid, to get them to trade in division, in division which they would not want to do. Um, the Braves have the pieces to do it. I think talent-wise, that's something, and, and value-wise, that's something that you shouldn't give up anything more than Kyle Wright, and even Kyle Wright seems like a little bit of a stretch. Um, but when you're dealing with the Wilpons, there's no real there's no real knowing. There's a couple names that you and I talked about before the show. John Gray really does intrigue me. If you get him out of Coors, I think he really takes off because the home run numbers will drop. Um, I really like what he does. He's just quietly been been pretty good this year um especially when you consider his home ballpark and some of the other parks he plays in Coors and he has to go play at Chase Field um I I I wonder what you could do for the Rockies I think it'd be a fine line they're not going to win anything this year even if they do limp into the playoffs they're not they're not beating the Cubs or the Brewers or the Braves or the Dodgers they're not going to do much so you'd have to if you could get them something that would be controllable and they could play off as would improve them for next year, so you might end up dealing two for one in that situation. Um, I, I don't really have any interest in Bumgarner. He's not a bad pitcher at this point, but he's not a great pitcher either. When you're trading for Bumgarner, you're talking about the Bumgarner from 2014. That's not this Madison Bumgarner. This Bumgarner's going to, going to regress hard when he gets out of San Francisco, and I don't really want any part of that, especially considering you're going to have to trade a premium for a guy that hasn't been to the postseason in five years. Yeah, there. everybody remembers when he showed up, and, and uh, I guess it was against the Royals in 2014, when yes. he wound up coming in in Game 7, and he basically, yeah, he pitched like seven innings out of the bullpen and just laid everything out on the table. I mean, no doubt about it, that was amazing. He was really good in 2012, and he was, he was pretty good in, in 2010 as well. But he's not 
he like you said, he's he's not that guy anymore. So I think Wheeler, yeah, I think Wheeler would be kind of the guy that I would be the the most interested in. And I, I even if he is going to cost a lot, two months is going to be that's not going to cost nearly as much as as a year and two months of somebody like Stroman, or even in the case of Gray, where he's got multiple years of control. And Mark Bowman, I like Mark Bowman, okay, but he put out this article where he was talking about it might That's cost the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it's not. It's really not. If you look, if if the Braves are willing to give up Christian Pache for Madison Bumgarner, then they deserve whatever whatever happens, okay. But like, you look at what what the Cubs gave up to get Cole Hamels last year, and they kind of didn't really give up much of substance. I mean, it was uh, Rowan Wick. And uh, Eddie Butler, who's playing in Korea now, if, if I'm not mistaken, and, and another piece that wound up being in there, like, these are not huge marquee guys. I mean, they wound up having to take on a lot of money, but even that, that was Hamels having it, it was a year, um, that was the two months, and then there was the option year. So when you're looking at somebody like Wheeler or Bumgarner, I just, the the market's not going to be the same, I know that, but but I still don't think it's going to be one of these massive, super, stupidly painful things. I think that, that it, I mean, it's going to it's gonna suck if you really love all of the prospects, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be one of those Drew Waters and Kyle Wright type, type returns to, to get one of these rental guys. And the question about Wheeler is, will the Mets treat him within the division, knowing how long their road is going to be? And especially knowing that they got crazy burned on, on the Robinson Cano deal, I won't say the name of the prospect that I bring up every, every, every single time, but th- there were some bad trades. There were some really bad front office moves that the Mets made, and they know that they, they have to do this right. So hopefully they will just say, you know, we are interested in your prospects. We would like to, we would like to acquire some of them, please. Uh, let's see if we can be reasonable and work out something. And, and who knows? Maybe the, the Braves try and do something where they, they go out and they get Michael Conforto. In addition, because it, it doesn't necessarily have to be just Wheeler. Like if if the Mets know that they are facing a really really long road and they need to build back up their farm system, then they might be a little bit more willing to to listen as they kind of have to dismantle themselves. But I'm just excited that like we've been looking at this. You know, the the team has been playing so well, and like like we had said before, there's the the way that this team is playing. They're 54 and 37 right now, and that's with completely underperforming starting pitching. You add any of these guys that we talked about, even if it is Bumgarner, like you're still going to see a marked improvement in this team because they only have to put up four runs as opposed to having put up five before. So we got three weeks. You know, when we when we record in three weeks, we're going to have a whole lot to talk about. We're either going to have a whole lot to talk about or nothing to talk about at all, and I don't know which would be uh, a better sign. Uh, but we did go a little bit longer on this break, so I'm gonna uh, on this segment. So I'm gonna cut this segment off here. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about. It's been a while since we've we've kind of outlined some of the stats, so we're gonna dig into what some of the advanced metrics really mean. Uh, kind of give the easy way to understand them. We'll dig into some minor league numbers that I feel bear talking about, and maybe a little bit more. All then, all that's coming up next right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by the new bestseller from TPS Publishing, 101 Places to Avoid Before You Die. Join us and discover why you should never consider going to places like Gary, Indiana, Stockton, California, 
Griffin, Georgia, and why you should avoid the entire state of Nebraska like the plague. This updated edition also includes a full-page layout demonstrating why you should not go to North Dakota in the winter or Tampa, Florida ever for any reason. Our newest masterwork also discusses why you should stay home instead of going to places like the DMV, the airport, the county fair, any buffet-style restaurant, or church on Wednesdays. 101 places to avoid before you die. Patent pending. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by SeatGeek. If you're looking for tickets to a ball game, to a concert, to a theater, whatever, I don't know what all you buy tickets to. What the, the point is, if you're looking for a ticket to anything that you need a ticket to, SeatGeek.com or their app is the best place to go. They've got a fantastic algorithm that will tell you how good a particular seat is. That way you'll know that if you're sitting in, six, in section... 312, that uh, there's a big pole right in front of your face, so you don't want to sit there. They've got it color-coded, so it makes it easy to understand. Um, if you're colorblind, it has the words for you as well, so you know what's going on. They'll tell you how much you should be paying for that seat, so you know if it's an overpay or just right, or if you're getting a steal. Also, if you're looking to sell your tickets, SeatGeek.com is the best place to sell them online as well, as you can find out just how much you should be charging for that particular game in that particular seat. SeatGeek makes everything nice and easy. And if you use our promo code ACAA at the checkout, they're going to give you $20 off. That essentially, that pays for your seat fee or two beers at a ballpark. You can go celebrate with two cups of Frenchie's Blues. Uh, Whatever it is you want to do, SeatGeek.com. You can download the handy-dandy app. Remember, use the promo code ACAA. SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, before we get into this segment uh, and and really get into it nitty-gritty, we've got some people that we need to call out and and give some praise to. Uh, We told you guys last week that we opened up the Patreon page for the Platinum Sombrero and just wanted to thank our first two patrons, Megan at 3x5 on Twitter and Tara at Braves Tara or Braves Diva. If you guys aren't following either of those two girls, they are two of my favorite follows on the Twitter sphere. They're both fantastic. Thank you guys so much for joining the patronage of the Platinum Sombrero. And as always, because they are patrons, they are now in the drawing to host a show with us that we will do at the end of the month. But I understand there are a couple more people that need a special shout out. Yeah, yeah. So... (laughs) Uh, first, I wanted to uh, say thanks to my buddy Stephen Waters, who has uh, been a friend of mine for a long time. But he is, uh, as of now, he is a Platinum Sombrero listener. Uh, he does a lot of driving, so uh, buddy, you got about seventy episodes to catch up on. So um, thanks for thanks for starting at the beginning and then uh, making it all the way to this episode. And also to uh, Court Gudmanson. Uh, Court has been a listener of ours for a really long time as well. And he reached out to me last week and said that uh, for as much as I, I talk about the band Fish, that he's got some interest in uh, <laughs> in getting into them, or at least familiarizing himself a little bit, and asked me to 
uh, kind of help facilitate that. So, uh, Court, I hope that you're uh, enjoying everything that I have supplied for you. Uh, it is a it is a long, dangerous road to go down. And uh, thanks for for reaching out. That was uh, very unexpected. The very first person who is uh, who has reached <laughs> reached out to me for that. So, uh, yeah, just anybody who's anybody who's still listening. If you've been listening since the very beginning. Uh, or if you just started listening last week, I mean, we we genuinely appreciate everything. We we have the best listeners in Braves country. We, we really do, and uh, just thanks thanks for everything. Yeah, it really is. It makes it a whole lot a whole lot of fun. We really do love interacting with all of you guys. Uh, this segment is actually a request from a few of you on Twitter and Facebook, and and just general listeners. It's been a while since we've done kind of some definitions or whatever. If you guys aren't familiar with some of the uh, some of the advanced stats, then sometimes you guys might not know what we're referencing when we say certain things like Sierra and FIP and WABA and, or whatever. You might not understand what they are, and it can make it tough to follow. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of time out of here and kind of explain what they are. So starting off with the pitching side of things, uh, the you will rarely hear Doc and I really reference ERA, uh, and there's a reason for that. ERA is a very limited statistic. Now, obviously, it can tell you some some things. Like if a guy's got a one ERA, obviously he's pitching really well. Uh, if he's got an eight ERA, obviously he is not pitching well. But there are there's more nuance to it than just the earned runs. What ERA doesn't tell you is things like does he have a bad defense behind him? Uh, is his team? Is he pitching bad and his defense is is great behind him? Uh, things of that nature. FIP is what you use in that sense. And I've kind of evolved away from even using FIP. But I'll, I'll mention it in the shows because a lot of other people are familiar with it. Uh, what FIP is is fielding independent pitching. So essentially it just it removes the defense from the equation. It, it assumes that you have an average defense behind you um, and, and kind of calculates accordingly. That way you can see how a pitcher is, what ERA a pitcher should have based on having an average defense. The problem with that would be guys like Julio Tehran, uh, guys like Tim Hudson, guys like Marcus Stroman. Generally speaking, their FIP will be a little bit worse than it really should because they give up so much contact. Um, the reason that I generally don't use FIP as much as some of the others is because it doesn't take batted ball profile into account and it doesn't adjust for parks. Um, that's The next one on the list kind of takes some of that away. Uh, XFIP is just expected FIP. That normalizes the home run rate to, I believe it's 10.5%, 10.5% for fly balls. It's either 105 or 125 Essentially, it, it just takes away some of the outliers and home run percentage. So if you've got a guy who's thrown 200 in or if you've got a guy who's thrown 60 innings and hasn't given up a home run, that's more likely a fluke than anything else. So his XFIP will be higher and will reflect that number. Again, I don't use FIP or XFIP as much. XFIP is just kind of good for, for seeing home run rates on guys and seeing for guys getting lucky. It also kind of can give you an idea of who generally just doesn't give up home runs. That way you can kind of see, even if a guy gets hit around a good bit, like if a guy has a, a 430 FIP, and he's got a 326 xFIP, then you can see that he just doesn't give up home runs uh, in that stretch. So that's a that's a better one than FIP, which is better than ERA. But the my favorite one to use the the pitching dynamic that I think is the best one is Sierra. And if you're looking for it, it's on Fangraphs. 
Uh, you'll find it in the advanced section or you'll find it in the batted ball section. Sierra is skill interactive earned run average. Essentially, it takes everything into account. Batted ball profile, uh, BABIP, park factors, the type of contact that, that you're giving up. It tells you what a pitcher should be based upon what he has thrown. So it'll tell you uh, if a guy who has a 360 ERA has actually pitched way better than that and deserves like a 313, or if a guy who's got a, a, a 313 and, and really hasn't pitched that great, but he's gotten really lucky, or he's getting hit really hard and they're just getting they're just finding gloves, then it'll show in the Sierra as well. Sierra is probably my favorite to use because it uses park factors. So a guy in that way you can compare a guy in Toronto and a guy in San Francisco and the discrepancies that ERA or XFIP would have in that case are not shown up in Sierra. Sierra kind of takes advantage of that and kind of adjusts for that so you don't have to do all the math problems in your head and try to figure it out. So Sierra, if you're looking for what Dylan thinks is the best pitching metric to use, use Sierra. You know, and I actually, I, I really like using FIP and, and XFIP, and I, I did want to jump in on something. Um, the constant that they use for home runs, I think it's it's ten and a half percent and that gets factored into into FIP. And XFIP in, instead of taking like the constant, it uses uh the actual home run rate for a pitcher. So because of that, it winds up being a better predictor of success. So and when you're looking at FIP too, they, the entire point of using FIP is basically to remove everything from the equation except for what the pitcher can control. Strikeouts, walks, hit by pitch and, and home runs. So it's basically just meant to look at how is the pitcher and only the pitcher performing. You know, you look at a guy like Shane Green of the, the closer for the Detroit Tigers. His ERA is one and his FIP is 3.75. So that tells you that, um, you know, he, he is kind of having a, a little bit of luck there. And when you when you start looking at really, really extreme swings like that, if there's like a two-and-a-half run difference, then you need to start digging deeper into the numbers. Now, on the flip side of that, Zach Wheeler for the Mets, his who we talked a lot about during the first segment, his ERA is 4.6, somewhere around there, and his FIP is actually a run lower. It's around 3.6. So that tells you, I mean, if there's anything to know about the Mets this year, I mean, there's plenty of hilarious things to know about the Mets all the time, but mainly the fact that they have an an absolutely abysmal defense. So if you were to remove Zach Wheeler from playing in front of the Mets defense and you you set him down in front of the Braves, it it might wind up um, being a little little bit more advantageous because he he winds up um, his own strength. He He is pitching better than then the Mets' defense is allowing him to look, if that makes sense. Now, as for Sierra, that is that is actually a new one for me. You introduced that to me on an episode a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't gotten to the point where I'm incorporating that uh, quite as much. But um, you start looking at guys like Matt Boyd uh, for the Detroit Tigers, who, who might wind up being a, a really valuable piece, then, um, you know, his... His Sierra is is fantastic. The last I saw, I think it was under three, which is uh, it's not scaled quite the same as something like ERA or like FIP. Uh, I think that they tend the Sierra tends to run a little bit higher. So if you see a number that that uh, is a little bit lower like that, then I think that it's a really good indicator of personal success. Yeah, most of the Sierras will be um, mid to high threes up into the fours, 
anything that's under like 4.4 is considered pretty good. Um, you can get into things like ERA minus and FIP minus, which is essentially just 100 is normal, is average. Anything under 100 is better. Uh, ERA plus, anything over 100 is better. Yeah, that, that's a really important thing to note as well. Anything that, that's got, got the plus is, is scaled to the rest of the league, where 100 is league average. So um, to look at, look at this from the, from the offensive side, if you look at a guy who's got like a 150 weighted runs created plus, then that tells you that he is performing 50% better than the rest of the league. Now, if you look at, at something like ERA minus, where it's the same thing, but it, but it's just in reverse. Somebody with, a, with an ERA minus of 75 is performing 25% better than the rest of the league. That can get kind of confusing, and even being moderately well-versed in that stuff, I, I for some reason, I will always just use the plus instead of using the minus. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why using the minus one seems so much more confusing for me. But you know, there there are a thousand different ways that you can you can analyze players. I mean, there are thousands, literally thousands, or maybe there's even tens and tens of different stats you can use. So there are. You have the ability to to have a very wide view. On how somebody is performing, so I'm I'm actually glad that we're that we're doing this segment because I know that that sometimes we just start throwing these numbers out and people are like I don't I'm not sure I know what that is or or I've seen it before or I I'm not sure exactly how to apply it. So hopefully uh, some of the pitching ones that we just ran down will really really help uh, anybody who's not familiar with these and uh, and we've got some offensive ones to to add as well. Yeah, let's do the one. That gets thrown around the most, and that would be war. Guarantee you've heard of war. It's wins above replacement. Uh, but people get so upset about war. It's probably the most controversial stat that that gets thrown around today because it, it figures out and it just kind of gives you a baseline of what they consider a replacement level player, which is basically an average AAA player, I believe, is what's viewed as a replacement-level player. Um, and it scales the the player towards that. Now, it does take into account... Um, I think it does. I don't want to say this wrong. So if I'm wrong, Doc, correct me. But I believe it takes into account how the player does by his position, according to his peers. So... No, that's, that's right. It's, it's got the positional adjustment in there, which is uh, when Fangraphs recently... Uh, changed their formula to include catch um, pitch framing. That's why guys um, guys like McCann and Flowers and even Yadi Molina they saw they saw a huge uh, a huge spike in uh, in all of their numbers. So essentially, what WAR does is it combines the offensive and defensive numbers, compares them to the other players of said positions around the league or pitchers in that case, and it gives you a number. Uh, so, for example, Mike Trout is already at like 70 war for his career. That's Hall of Fame level already, but you can know that by watching him. Essentially, all war does is it serves as a point of reference so that you can look at a guy and see how he's compared, how he's played compared to the rest of the guys around the league at his position. So uh, let's let's take, I don't know, who do you want to take? Let, let's just say... Uh, you know what? Let's take uh, Bryce Harper, who in his. <laughs> that's why I did that. Uh, but let, let's take Bryce Harper and Nick Markakis. 
that's kind of the ones that everybody likes to talk about. We like to make fun of the Phillies because of the whole Bryce Harper thing. Uh, and for a while, people like to say that uh, Nate Markakis was doing better than Bryce Harper, which is not the case. And if you go to their war, respectively, um, you'll you'll kind of see that big difference. Right now, Nick Markakis is at .4 war, meaning he's on he's on pace for uh, about a one. He'd be at .8, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's a one. Uh, and that's that's brought through by the quality of his contact, what he tends to get, how much he's on base. OBP is kind of like the big thing for offensive war, um, and OPS. I think OPS and slugging always play a big role in that as well. Um, but Bryce Harper who we think has sucked all year because he's hitting 253 has already been worth two war, which means he's on pace for four, which not MVP level, but certainly all-star type of level when you look at a four, four wins above replacement. Now, why people will use war is because batting average is probably the worst stat you can use as a predictor. Um, batting average is one of the older stats, obviously. Uh, but as we've kind of progressed and figured more and more things out about the game, batting average is one of the easiest stats to lead you down the wrong path. Things like BABIP can affect it immensely. Um, how empty is a guy's average is another one. Th- there's just a lot of holes in batting average. So war is kind of what a lot of players will go to or a lot of fans will go to when they're coming up with uh, guys that you should sign uh, and things of that nature. There's a lot of front office guys that really like war as well. Um, So if you learn any one stat, war is probably the most important for you to learn because that's the one that gets thrown around the most nowadays. And, What's important to remember with all of these is that, I mean, there's no perfect stat. And, and I was talking about, you know, you, you can really equip yourself to it, all of these numbers are out there and, and you can find them. And as soon as you learn how to apply them, it, it gives you a really f- comprehensive look at how, at how a player is. You know, it, you look at a guy like Ichiro, who, I mean, nobody's going to dispute the fact that Ichiro was like an elite hitter, but he also so many of his hits were singles, you know what I mean? So if you're just looking at his batting average, you can say, well, maybe he's the greatest hitter of all time, which might be the case. But you start looking around at... There's there's just different ways to, to look at things. And when you start looking at OBP and slugging, it, it starts to open that up a little bit more. You start looking at war. Uh, you look at uh, weighted on base average, which is WOBA, which we're going to get to in a second. You, there's um, There's a lot of different ways that you can determine a player's value so and batting average is not necessarily bad but you need to supplement it with a couple of other things to make sure that it's that it's a good descriptor and like you were talking about with era before you know one is obviously good pretty much devoid of context eight is pretty much bad devoid of context the same thing if a guy's hitting 209 he's probably not great but if he's if he's hitting 380 then he's probably much closer to great. But if you start looking at batting average on balls in play and contrast that with hard hit rate, you can say, well, this guy's still hitting the ball hard, but he's hitting into really bad luck. Or the guy who's hitting 380, well, his batting average on balls in play is like 460. So, and he's not hitting the ball as hard as this guy who's hitting 209. So there's a lot to it. And Drew Waters, 
who is who we also mentioned in the first segment as, as somebody that's you know one of the the super it prospects right now in the Brave system that nobody wants to trade because he's hitting three thirty or so. Well, last I checked, his batting average on balls in play was around four fifteen, four twenty or so. So that's high. Maybe he's getting some luck, and people got really mad at Keith Law for not including Waters in in his top prospects list. And part of that might be strictly because you're saying, well, once this starts to stabilize, once it normalizes a little bit, we'll see how much of this is luck and how much of this is just this is who he is. Because he's some guys like Julio Tehran has outpitched his fifth his entire career. Tim Hudson was another one. Some guys just are able to sustain a really high uh, batting average on balls in play through their entire career because they hit the ball really hard. So once again, comes back to the same point I was trying to make. Make sure that you look at everything. One of the ones that I really... By the way, by the way, before you move on, uh, the other thing that makes war kind of controversial is that all three of the big stat places, and particularly the big two, Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, they have different calculations for war. So you'll see, if you see somebody use F-War, which is what Doc and I generally use, that's Fangraphs. That's their calculations. B-War is baseball reference. Theirs is a little bit more weighted towards the defensive side of things. Fangraphs War is more offensively rated. And when you start including defense in, uh, in player valuations, defense is it's really hard to, to get an accurate measurement on defensive metrics. Um, unless, unless you start looking at some of the, the stat cast data with it. But defense, defensive metrics, whether it's UZR, which is ultimate zone rating, or range factor, or any of these that really kind of get into the meat of how much ground a player can cover, the you have to look at like big, big sample sizes, like a couple of seasons worth, to to really get any meaningful value out of that. So, for example, by the way, uh, that's a good point to make right now because a lot of people talk about the Braves' defense as being oh, it's it's a super elite defense. We've got one of the best infields in all of baseball. Well, according to defensive metrics, the Braves do not. Last year they did. They were number three in all of baseball, or number four in all of baseball. Uh, this year they are 12th in, in just defensive value. And when you talked about UZR, UZR over 150 is kind of the more accepted one because it kind of extrapolates it out to kind of get rid of like some some weird spikes. If a guy hasn't played a lot of innings, then his UZR could be higher or lower than it really should be. Um, but Zone rating, UZR and UZR-150, essentially it puts players on a little bit of a grid. Like Each position has a grid, so it grades players by the balls that they get to in that grid. And the difference between UZR and defensive run saved, DRS, which is what most people use for uh, to, to tell if you have a good defense or not, Defensive run saved is how many that you get to. So defensive run saved actually incorporates the shift. Uh, teams that shift a ton can find themselves hurt by UZR because if a guy hits, if, if the shortstop is behind second base or he's on the, the first base side of the bag and a ball's hit to what is a normal shortstop ball, same way that Max Freed sometimes gets unlucky on, That'll ding his UZR because it's on the shortstop grid. DRS will not ding him for that because he shifted out of position. Um, so when you're looking at it, DRS is probably the the number one defensive metric. But even that, you kind of need a three-year sample size 
before you really get a, a true evaluation of a player. Um, so the same thing with pretty much all defensive metrics. They're not they're not anything that should be viewed in short sample sizes. For instance, Austin Riley was uh, a below average fielder like three weeks ago. Uh, he he was a negative DRS. He was a negative UZR, and now he's positive in both of those. Uh, it's it's just one of those things that can fluctuate really quickly. So you need larger sample sizes than you do offensively. No doubt, and if that was the one. That's one of the the newest ones. So that they've had a lot of time to figure out uh, kind of the ins and outs of, of of what they can do with with some of the the pitching metrics and the offensive metrics and the, and the defensive stuff. I think that uh, when we had Mike Petriello on from Statcast, he talked a lot about how that's one of the initiatives that they want to they want to continue. Uh, coming up in in the next couple of years as they want to really drill down into how they can help to evaluate defense so uh, that'll be that'll be one to to kind of come back to but if we can i'm gonna kick to you by the way for these offensive ones let's run through these real quick wrc plus woba and ops doc give a quick explanation about why they're important and what they are okay so Weighted runs created plus, that's one that I always, always tend to kind of default to. Like the, the whole point of, of playing baseball is to create runs, and there, there's a bunch of different ways that, that you can do it. Um, so what weighted runs created plus is, it's a great statement on overall value. Okay, You're looking at hits and, and the, the type of hits and, and how you're driving in runs, how you're creating runs, but you also start looking at stolen bases, and drawing walks and not striking out, uh, not grounding into double plays, not uh, toot bland, which for anybody who's not familiar with the acronym, it's uh, thrown out on the base path, thrown out on the base paths like a nincompoop, which is uh, my favorite, probably my favorite baseball acronym. So when when you start swirling all of these numbers together, you get weighted runs created and then like i said earlier when you start looking at anything with a plus it's got the league adjustment so somebody who's got a 150 weighted runs created plus is creating 50 percent more runs than league average which is always going to be set at 100 so and what constitutes league average chains changes year over year over year so 150 weighted runs created plus what that actually means for for a player's statistical output changes can change from year to year, which is kind of an interesting way uh, to look at it. Um, and then weighted on base average, which is abbreviated as WOBA, W-O-B-A, that's one that's kind of interesting as well. It's it's I described it on a previous episode as the, the love child between on-base percentage and, and slugging percentage, which is kind of true, but it, it tends to uh, trends a little bit more towards uh, on-base percentage. So... It's easy to look at a, at a double and say it's is worth twice. Excuse me, it's worth twice as much as a single. A home run is worth twice as much as a double, four times as much as a single. But there's also years and years of data which says, well, that's not entirely accurate. It's close and it's easy for rounding and everything. What weighted on base average does? It kind of uh, reweights what a single is really worth and what a double is really worth relative, like standing alone by itself and also relative to, uh, to walks and, and anything, any of the other ways that, that you can wind up getting, getting on base, uh, similar to any of the other ones. It's just a good way for evaluating, evaluating overall offensive talent. Um, if you have a, a WOBA around 400 or so, 
that's that's pretty solid. So that is to correct what I had said in the previous episode about it's like right in the middle between on base and slugging. So whenever we wind up tweeting out stats, of, we we try and tweet out stats about prospects or or in anybody on the major league roster, but but we especially will do this for for some of the minor league guys. What we'll try and do is we will try and include a little bit of everything. We'll put batting average, on base, slugging, and OPS, which is on base plus slugging, which is, that one's kind of flawed a little bit in case one tends too far to the other, it can bring up bring up the average. Um, but we'll also, we'll put weighted runs created plus, and we'll put WOBA in there. And if we're doing it over the course of an entire season, we'll try and include WAR, but that, that, that gets to be a little bit harder if you're looking at a three or four week sample size. So anybody who is listening to this, I, I hope this has been informative. I hope that, that, uh, you can start incorporating these and start understanding what they are. And for anybody who already understood these and, and sat through our, our half hour or so tutorial where we talked about this, uh, thank you for still being here. We appreciate that. Right. Um, now, because of that, we're going to do something a little bit of fun. Last week, we brought back extra innings. We're going to do it again this week, only this time we asked the listeners for questions that we should ask each other. And without further ado... Why don't you start us off? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had really, really good response when, when we asked people, when we were crowdsourcing extra innings questions. I wonder uh, how many people had actually been sitting on these waiting to, to propose them. Uh, and we probably would have actually had a little bit more if Twitter had not collapsed in the, in the middle of the afternoon. But uh, our buddy Spar at Sparhawk, S-P-A-R-H-A-W-K, is named Aaron Houston. We were right together over at Talking Chop. If you're not following him for minor league stuff, then then you absolutely should. He, he's just a machine, and he knows a ton, a ton about prospects. But uh, he had uh, two really, really good ones. The first one was, uh, you know, there's a, a Wu-Tang Clan name generator. Uh, Dylan, why don't you tell everybody what your, <laughs> what your Wu-Tang name would be? Well... Depends on which name you use. For those of you that aren't aware, Dylan is not my first name. It is actually my middle name. It's just the name that I've gone by forever. So if you use my middle name, my go-by name, it comes out to Fearsome Demon, which is okay. Sounds a little bit weird, but... Uh, it's a good one. If you use my, my given name, Ronald, um, then it comes out to one that I think is a little bit cooler. So I'm going to roll with this one. Profound Conqueror. That was badass. You sound like you're actually in Wu Tang. Wu Tang. <laughs> you know, and and I I wound up having to do both my uh you know my Doc is not my birth name for anybody who, anybody who did not know that. No, uh, you're lying. Yeah, you know I, I'm gonna have to take that up with my parents. But uh, yeah, when you use uh, my real name Adam, then I'm a scratching artist, which is which is okay. <laughs> it's it's okay. But uh, if you use Doc Herbert. Then, uh, then it's Crazy Ninja, which I'm not. I'm not really a huge fan of either of mine. I I would like to be Profound Conqueror or Fearless Demon. So, uh, once we fearsome, not fearless, fearsome, fearsome. I mean, that's God. That's amazing. So once once we wind up joining Wu Tang, which is obviously the next step after TPS. I never thought this was going to be a stepping stone for that, but uh, you know, old dirty bastard was already taken. So uh, I'm going to wind up stealing whichever one you don't use. But uh, the, other, the other other question that, that Aaron had for us is, uh, what is your favorite terrible movie? Thanks, bye. Ooh, 
That is a really tough question because I have to figure out what is a terrible movie. Obviously, I can't say Boondock Saints because it's a great movie. You can absolutely use Boondock Saints. It's awful. No, see, that's a great movie. <laughs> um, so bad. One that I've kind of watched a few times. I don't know if you've even heard of this. Uh, Solomon Kane or the first Punisher movie mm, with Thomas I've, Jane. I've never seen it. Great movie. Horrific numbers. But an awesome movie. Has John Travolta in it. Thomas Jane is a fantastic Punisher. Um, and Solomon Kane, I thought was a good movie too. I, I think it's Hugh Jackman in it, but I'm not 100% sure on that. You know, and I never, I never really got into Punisher or anything or anything like that. So, um, no, that one, that one went over my head. But I tell you what, the the first thing that came to mind for me on this one was Con Air, which is uh, I remember seeing Con Air in the theater when I was uh, 15, I think. And even then, like I had rose colored glasses on about everything. And uh, even then, I'm sitting in there going, it, like, the plot is completely preposterous, and Nicolas Cage with the long hair and the awful southern accent, but the cast is amazing. It's like John Malkovich is in it, and Ving Rhames, and uh, Steve Buscemi shows up for some reason. Dave Chappelle is in it, and uh, I, Con Air, if Con Air's on, I'm going to watch it, and John Cusack's in that, too, and that made me think of um, what I have referred to as uh, the best awful movie of all time. He's also in Hot Tub Time Machine, which... <laughs> That's just an awful movie, though. Oh, I mean, it's... By the way, by the way, it's Michael Purifoy, not uh, not Wolverine. Okay, it's not, not Hugh Jackman? Wolverine. Well, uh, uh, see, that that's his given name, you know? Some people, some people just have it made, you know what I mean? Like, Prince, his given name was actually Prince, but his... his Last name was Rogers, which kind of you know, kind of he's eh, just Prince. Kind of takes it down a little bit, but all right. So the next question comes from uh, Greg Allen, who is at Bleacher Creature Five or Bleacher Creature Five. Uh, if you found a Bigfoot and uh, you taught him how to play baseball, what well, would you want him drafted as a as a pitcher or a hitter? And uh, I've actually loved this question. Very, very much. So, Dylan, I'm gonna let you go first. Oh, there's no doubt. Wait, is he lefty or is he righty? You see, that's that's the thing. I we don't know. We we either way. He's so big and strong. He's my first baseman. I don't need him to do anything defensively. He's just gonna yak big bombs. I was kind of yeah. I was kind of thinking that that you would wind up uh, wanting him as a hitter too. Like we talked about guys like Chad Sabatka and Tyler Glasnow, and they've got like the the really long limbs, you know, and it's, it's really hard to repeat your mechanics if you're a pitcher. But so I, I think I would want him as a hitter and, you know, he would wind up profiling like a, like an AJ Reed or like an Adam Dunn type. You know what I mean? Like 20 grade speed, even with the feet. Um, but then I got to thinking like the, i started overthinking it. Like, well, if I found a Bigfoot, and you know, it, where did I find him? Is this one of those things where he like he can get drafted, or is he like an international free agent type? Like I don't know. I I just thank you to Greg for really that question ate up probably about fifteen twenty minutes of my afternoon. So, <laughs> um, so thank you for that one. And uh, I will, Dylan. I'll let you ask this next one from our buddy Anthony Williams. All right, from Anthony Williams at Fan in VT. What is your favorite retro game? Now he wrote systems down here like N sixty four, Sega. Uh, 
PS1. So I don't know if he wants a game from each of the consoles or what was your favorite console. So I think we're going to, I think I'm going to do both. Uh, I think the original, the favorite game for NES. <sighs> now that's regular NES. So I'm actually going to skip that one. That was a little before my time. And I'm going to go Super Nintendo instead. Um, he can't go wrong with Super Mario, but I'm going to go with Ninja Turtles. The only uh, only time that I ever wound up playing that Ninja Turtles game, uh, I think that there was a at Pizza Hut. That, well, there was there was that, and there was also like at the, the there was a Walmart not far from my uh, old house that I, that I grew up in, and uh, I I pumped a bunch of quarters into the Ninja Turtles game. It was the best game ever. No, it was good. I was I was awful at it, but uh, but I, I, I wound <laughs> up I wound up giving a lot of money to that machine. I had uh, I spent a ton, a ton like way too much time playing Mike Tyson's Punch Out on original Nintendo, <laughs> and when uh, a buddy of mine got the Game Genie, I mean he was like sixteen. By and by this point, original NES had been eclipsed by like six or seven different systems, and he's like, "Hey, let's beat Mike Tyson's Punch Out." I'm like, "Ben, why why do you have a Game Genie? You know what? Whatever." And I was expecting this giant fanfare and like some. You know, little Mac in the parade, like you know, and nothing. And the game just starts back over. Like, <laughs> I I couldn't believe it. But I played a lot of Punch Out. I played a lot of a lot of uh, Legend of Zelda too, like the gold cartridge, like original. Yeah, but but it's which one, original or Ocarina of Time? No, this, we're talking like 1986, eight bit, like super primitive video game. And uh, I remember reading Nintendo Power magazine. To get uh, to get tips for how to like find the blue ring and eventually eventually beat the game, I beat that one without the uh, without the help of, of the game genie. So now I do have to pick a bone here with Anthony. I don't see a Game Boy or a Game Boy Color on here um, because the original goat and will forever be the goat was the Pokemon games. I've never had a Game Boy. Like truthfully, when I'm looking at these systems, I had I had the NES and I had a Sega, and but even then, I only played like Altered Beast. Which came with the Sega, and then like different versions of Sonic the Hedgehog, and then after that, um, I, I had a Tony Hawk Pro Skater Two phase because my brother showed up. Like my brother moved back home from Pennsylvania, and uh, he had a he had a PlayStation, and we played some some Tony Hawk, and that was it. I never never had an N sixty four or a GameCast or an Atari or, or anything like that. So, listen, I'm a '90s kid. Pokemon was everything, and if you didn't play and you didn't figure out how to get to Mew, then you were a loser. I don't even know what that means, dude. You're old. Shut up. Too old. Shut up. <laughs> we used to go outside right, our- to have fun. I don't want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> you only went outside because there was nothing out there because there was TVs had one channel. You had channel nine, which was just static. You try to watch it to see a boob. Buddy, how old do you think I am? I'm just messing with you. It's okay. <laughs> anyway, from our buddy Boggy, who says, neither of us seem like car guys, which is a little insulting. I think of myself as a car guy. Don't profile me, Boggy. That's stereotypes, and they're wrong. Um, he asks, what is your favorite dream, or what is your dream car? Go ahead. What is your dream car? I have a couple. It kind of depends. If we're talking, like, my favorite car in the world, uh, it'd be a 70 Chevelle SS. Or, yeah, even that's hard to pick. 
There's the 70 Chevelle SS, which to me is is the perfection of Chevy. Um, or there is a little bit more obscure, I guess, because you don't find them anymore just because they've all been destroyed and run ragged. The 66 Plymouth Roadrunner, to me, is the most beautiful muscle car ever made. It was fast. It was just big and beautiful. If you're talking about, like, supercar, probably an Aston Martin Vantage. It's funny that, that you mentioned that. I, uh, you know, Buggy and I know each other pretty well, and I think that you don't seem like a car guy thing is directed a little bit more at me because I, I'm certainly not. But uh, I, I did have, a like, a James Bond fit when I was, like, 12 or 13. Obviously super cool. Read a lot of James Bond books. Totally didn't get made fun of for that. And, wa- <laughs> and watched a lot of the movies, too. And, uh, and and he he drove an Aston Martin. And so I, th- I think that that'd probably be what I would default to as well. But, like, it would have to be, like, the super tricked-out version with, like, the rotating license plate and the suicide doors and, like, a Tommy gun built into the exhaust pipe or whatever. But uh, outside of that, like, I don't know if it's just... I, I, every time I see, like, an old Bel Air driving down the road, like, this big old honking piece of metal with these super jagged edges... I'm like that is a sexy looking car, and it's not like sleek. It's like it's just a big old piece of machinery. And every time I see one, I just am like, God, that is a beautiful looking car. So you need to go to Cuba then. Those things are all over the roads in Cuba. Are they? Yes, uh, because of the embargo. The people just keep their cars running. There are so many of them. There's a Top Gear episode, um, the of the U.S. version of Top Gear that you should watch, where they're in Cuba. And there's just tons of Bel Airs and and uh, fair lanes and just all over the road. That's cool. I, I will uh, I will actually seek that. Even not being a car guy, that that does kind of hold my hold my interest. So, very cool. Uh, great question, question, Boggy. Uh, this one uh, usually when we do extra innings, the uh, we we tend to keep it off of baseball. But the, the, we've got a couple in here that I actually wind up circling back into the brave so we're going to take a question from bj barton that's at bj barton 2007 uh which pre-twitter era former braves player would have probably been like ender and blocked a lot of braves fans that's a great question <laughs> my first thought was uh was john rocker but the the more i thought about it i, I get the feeling that he would have like actively I hate have welcomed it he'd welcome it yeah he would have actively like sought people out to f- he would have gotten in like super passive aggressive quote tweet wars like dob does so i'm gonna pivot my answer i'm gonna say david justice i get the feeling david justice would have kind of had way too thin of skin he's all over twitter now but obviously his playing career is done um well, well, yeah, like when it, when he was uh, when he we're talking like Halle Berry era David Justice. I don't think he could have handled it. <sighs> yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Um, I think I'm gonna say Jeff Blauser. <laughs> Maybe Walt Weiss, just because he was horrible and he would get tired of people saying how horrible he was. Now Blauser's a good call. He he gave up gave up a real kind of toolbox real douchebag yeah real douchebag he really did and i i I do remember um talking about sign of the times i remember seeing a post-game interview uh with jeff blouser like he's he's sitting in the clubhouse like smoking a cigarette after the game like i don't really think that they allow that now i mean this would this would have been like 1993 
or something. I'm my, it just blew my 11-year-old mind. All right, next question. Got to run through these here. From our buddy Derek Duran, or Duran, whichever one you want to be called. Congratulations, Derek, by the way, on the birth of uh, Baby Dansby. Yeah, good job. I'm really proud, really happy to uh, have another baby brought into the Braves' Twitter world. If a biopic of any player was coming out, and I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing because I can't see my screen here, uh, and a a biopic for the Atlanta Braves, who would be the best actor-player combination? Now, he said Andre 3000 and Otis Nixon, which was pretty good. (laughs) That's Um, unbelievable. It's so good. What would you say? Uh, my first thought, you know who Chris Penn is? He was in Reservoir Dogs. I know Sean Penn. I think they're brothers, but I'm not entirely sure. My first thought was Chris Penn, who's a little tubbier, as Ryan Klesko. But then I got to wondering why they would be making a movie about Ryan Klesko. So um, either either that or um, 1990s Pest-era John Leguizamo as Rafael Belliard. Ooh, good name. Good pull. Hmm. <laughs> What do you think? I'm going to go back to my Jeff Blauser thing here. There's only one person. Woody Harrelson. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's, yeah, that's really good. I actually kind of want to see the, the Jeff Blauser bio movie now. <laughs> I mean, I, that, that, that to me, like that that's about all I could figure. Uh, maybe a Mark Wahlberg and Marcus Giles thing. You know, they're both short guys with big arms. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark Wahlberg is, is kind of jacked. Uh, very jacked, but so was Marcus Giles, who had, who still has like the biggest forearms I've ever seen in my life. It's like Ugla level level forearms, like it, right. And and to 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 flip this on its head, like if they're gonna remake the Popeye movie with uh, you know, they did the the one with Robin Williams and I think Shelley Duvall, and like this was before I was born even, so you know it's ancient. Uh, I would cast Dan Ugla as Popeye uh, in that movie, strictly for the forearms. That's a good one. Well, Derek also asked, uh, and th- this is one that I think we've touched on before. Uh, he's apparently been watching a lot of Ted Bundy stuff on Netflix, which is weird. But uh, if you were on death row, and uh, you know, what would be what would be your last meal before you died? I can't remember what I said before, but a fresh crab cakes. Fresh crab cakes are like my favorite thing in the entire world. Hmm. So, I mean, are you going, like, all you can eat here? I mean, you don't have to oh, worry yeah. about, like, the guild afterwards because you're clearly going to die. Um, yeah, give me all of it. Give me, like, a, a chili lime mayonnaise type to go with it. I don't care. Uh, and not just crab cakes. Crab cakes, sandwiches, everything crab cake you can think of, give it to me. You got, like, the full buffet? Yes. And not, not like, cheap Chinese food buffet. I'm talking about, like, like ritzy Hilton hotel buffet where it's, like, $200 type. I mean, that's probably a pretty good way to go out. And, yeah, you'd probably, for as much as you'd wind up eating, you'd probably wind up just hating yourself and wishing you could die anyway. So, I mean, and I, you know, for the most part, like, I'll I'll try and eat eat pretty healthy where I can. But uh, if, if I know my time is coming, and, and this is obviously a fabricated scenario, a scenario my, my dear grandmother passed five years ago. But if there could be one thing, it would be her fried chicken from when I was, like, five or six years old. She was... Uh, her name was Bessie Ruth Hutchison, so you know she was Southern, and you know she knew how to do fried chicken. So it would um, be a good way to go out. It would be a really good way to go out, I think. I mean, there's nothing, there's, you can never go wrong with fried chicken. Would you add gravy on it? Yeah, of course. I mean, 
She would have to, I mean, I would go like the full on southern meal with, you know, with the, with the, the mashed potatoes and the, and the gravy and, and everything. So, okay. Um, I can get yeah. behind that. Yeah. Final so. question from our good buddy Jordy. Would you rather fight one Josh Donaldson or one Josh Donaldson sized chicken or 20 chicken sized Josh Donaldsons? This is another one. I didn't think about this one quite as much as I thought about the Bigfoot question, but just I don't know because like Josh Donaldson, he's kind of mean, you know what I mean? And like 20 tiny little Josh Donaldsons just nipping at my heels. You know, there could be, like, the slow takeover, but, like, I would imagine that, like, a chicken that was the size of Josh Donaldson would be super aggressive with, like, the beak or whatever. It's, I just, I don't know, man. I think I think I would just hope that my grandmother showed up and would kill the chicken for me <laughs> and, and then make it as I die. Give me, so. give me them 20 little Josh Donaldsons. I can kick those things. Chickens are mean. If you haven't spent any time, if you're not southern enough to have been around chicken coops and uh, been inside with roosters... They are very mean, very brutal, and they got them sharp little talons. No, give me give me twenty little Josh Donaldsons. And they're yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, and they're the, they're like they're fast too. Like that's why I think it was the second Rocky movie where Mick had Rocky like chasing chickens around, talking about like lightning speed and everything. So I would have to imagine that these chicken sized Josh Donaldsons have like seventy five or eighty grade speed. So if you can catch them, you can beat them. I don't know, man. That's a pretty good question right there. And I think it's a good question to end on. We've been going at this almost two hours. So uh, first, I want to say thank you to those of you that made it through the end of the episode. Uh, thank you guys so much for sticking with us. We'll have Braves baseball to talk about next week as the second half gets underway. When you're hearing this, it'll be a little bit later today, I guess. Since it's Thursday today, you'll hear it tomorrow. Uh, the Braves get started underway again tomorrow. Again, thank you so much to Megan and Tara for becoming our first patrons. Thank you guys so much. You can follow and download the show pretty much anywhere on iHeart, Himalaya, pretty much wherever you can think of. You can find the TPS podcast. Thank you to my partner, Doc, as always. Can't wait for next week, buddy. Yeah, man. it's uh, we're, we're in the home stretch now. We got a bunch of really interesting series coming up. So everybody who made it this far in the season, stick around. Things are about to get interesting. Thank you, Dylan, oh, thank for goodness. 70, for you doing 71 fantastic episodes and uh, for you know having me on for 70 of them. <laughs> That's right. You did get an extra break in between there. Uh, yes, <laughs> one more time. Thank you guys so much. Uh, you know where to follow. You know you know where to subscribe. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Get thanks, bye.